turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We want to be mindful of those around the country, especially in the South, who are dealing with the ravages of Hurricane Ian. Families that have been displaced, the families that have been torn apart now by death, communities having to start all over and rebuild. We want to remember our fellow countrymen and brothers and sisters today. Also, I'm grateful for the women's ministry getting together on Saturday to study the word. Um, my wife was fired up. It's a great beginning for the ladies. And also, um, after Sister Donna spoke last week, an opportunity developed out of that for women to take some self-defense uh, teachings. So there's a date coming where that's going to happen. What, what is the date for that? November the 12th um, so we have scholarships available um, it's not like the elders doing the training we, we're bringing in professionals <laughs> so it's going to be a great time then also um, as we remember the women one of our elders Sister Lily is here today in the house of God the Lord decided to take her sister home this past week. And uh, Lily is at peace because her sister uh, no longer has to fight anymore or suffer anymore. So we want to keep Lily and her family in prayer uh, in the passing of her sister, Willa. And then last night, uh, the men got together uh, outside. That's good. That's good at the fire pit. You know, it was that a fire pit, if you will, that Peter had one of his denials. It was at a fire pit. But last night we gathered around the fire and we focused on God's love for us, even when we deny him. Elder Sherman gave a good word, as he always does, to remind us who we are in Christ and to get our minds right. And there was some spontaneous encouragement that happened around the fire. And one of the things each one of us said last night was, this is so good, we can't keep it to ourselves, so we've got to bring some more brothers with us. So next month, we're going to do it again, and we're bringing you with us. Now, we know some of you couldn't come last night for various reasons. I also know some of us contracted COVID, some men contracted COVID. Um, this past week, one of our sisters in church also contracted COVID. So COVID is still around. I see some of you wearing masks, um, keeping distance. Do what you have to do. Um, be wise. Keep washing your hands, sanitizing them as much as possible. Um, but this resurgence of COVID is still here. But we're going to do what we can to gather and be together. So I'm blessed to be a part of what God's doing. Um, Brother Bryce. Thank you for leading us in worship. And uh, wow, 
his brother about to get married soon. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and brother Ricky up there is about to get married too in January. Praise God, Rick. <laughs> God is good. Amen. Let's pray together. Dad, thank you. That as I sit on this stage, I know it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about you. You're the center of what this is all about. You're the center of our lives. And God, we want to give you the glory that is due you. As the song says, ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. And no tree is gonna lift its branches as long as I'm alive. I'm gonna glorify your holy name. You're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be magnified and uplifted. And something happens to us when we choose to center you instead of our problems, ourselves, our circumstances, other people. Uh, when we lift up our eyes to the hills, we recognize where our help comes from. It comes from you, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God, if you can make an earth, you can make my situation better. If you can make a day I've never seen before and give me new mercies, Lord, you can make miracles happen in my life. I thank you that you're God and beside you there is no other. As the old folks say, you're God all by yourself. And so God, help me to preach your word. You don't need me, but you will use me. So I empty myself and say, Lord, I decrease. Let Jesus increase in this moment. You gave me a gift to teach, to preach, and even to lead your people. I didn't call myself to be a pastor. You called me to be a pastor. And faithful are you who calls who will also do it. And you called your people to be here, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And Lord, I pray that there would be a transformation that takes place in our mind that leads to a transformation in how we live and how we do life in this world. So thank you for this passage. Lord, open it up in our lives. Change us with this truth. We love you so much and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you are without a church home and you think Strong Tower could be the home for you, uh, at the end I will be here up front. I have a couple of cards for you to fill out and uh, let us know that this may be the church home for you. Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. Jesus said, For John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent, or the word is repent, and believe him. So today, let's talk for a few moments on the subject of prostitutes in paradise prostitutes in paradise, or I could have said harlots in heaven. Whichever one floats your boat, you rock with harlots in heaven, prostitutes in paradise. Let's get into it. This past week, we learned of the tragic news of the rapper Coolio. Coolio passed away unexpectedly at the age of 59. And Coolio is best known for his song, Gangster Paradise, or Gangster's Paradise. You know, when he passed, it was something because 
I went and played the song, and I was singing the song all week. Uh, am, am I by myself? Was anybody else singing or thinking of that song? <laughs> We're spending most our lives living in the gangster's paradise. I was singing it this week. <laughs> that sounded pretty good, didn't it? I was right there. <laughs> but before Coolio rapped about a gangster's paradise, the late great rapper Tupac Shakur rapped also about paradise or heaven. And he asked a question in this rap song, and that is, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. Uh, proper English, I wonder if heaven has a ghetto, but rap vernacular, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. And we would quickly answer and say, no, heaven doesn't have a ghetto. Heaven is paved with streets of gold and there are gates made of pearl and all kind of beautiful onyx stones. Jesus has been making mansions for each and every one of us. Heaven is a wonderful city, New Jerusalem, but it's not a ghetto, but it does have ghetto people up in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. No, but heaven got ghetto folk all up in there. You see, a ghetto is a slum area of a city that is inhabited usually by marginalized people and ethnic minorities. Ghettos are overrun with poverty, crime, drugs, police brutality, unemployment, overcrowding. And yes, prostitution. It's not the oldest profession. Farming and, 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 and uh, herding cattle is the oldest profession. Adam worked in a garden. His sons dealt with animals and gardens. So it's not the oldest profession, but it, it's up there. It, it, it's an old profession. And it happens everywhere in ghettos in particular. And in America, Ghettos were created. They didn't just happen. Ghettos were created by the United States government after emancipation. So when these millions of slaves were supposedly set free in 1863 and 1865, they had to live somewhere. And they were quote unquote herded into areas that would become known as ghettos. And in these ghettos, there would be great crimes. But not only did the government uh, create ghettos to oppress the formerly enslaved or black people, the United States government also placed Native Americans on reservations in order to oppress them. And on their reservations, there is so much Crime, discouragement, alcoholism, sexual abuse going on. And so these ghettos, these slums remind us that systemic racism was real and it is real. People were placed into these places 
because of their ethnic origin. Martin Luther King once said, where there is darkness, because people put down the ghettos because they're dark, but where there is darkness, crimes will be committed. Martin Luther King went on to say, the guilty one is not just the one who commits the crimes, but also the ones who create the darkness. We want to focus on those committing the crime, but what about those who created the environment where crimes get committed? And so we're speaking of systemic racism. And have you ever wondered, when we think about the things that go on in ghettos, in slums, in inner cities, in urban places. Have we ever wondered over the fact that, yes, there are so many things that are going there, but prostitution, what, why do women and men enter into prostitution? What would make someone sell their bodies? Because we read these scriptures uh, back in the first century when these things occurred, and Jesus is talking about harlots. He's talking about prostitutes. If you go into the Old Testament, you can read about harlots and prostitutes. And we just kind of read it, but I like to ask and say, what, what would make someone become a prostitute, whether a man or a woman become a prostitute? Well, sometimes poverty will cause someone to sell their bodies. Sometimes being in debt, owing someone, will cause someone to sell their body. Sometimes abuse, being abused, will cause someone to turn to a life of immorality because of what they were exposed to as a child. And so as a result, they participate in lewd activity and behavior because they don't know anything else or know any better. They can sell themselves. And then there is sex trafficking, where people sell people to have sex with men and all this kind of stuff. You know, today in America, those folks, those traffickers are called pimps. And there's a portion within the black community that even wants to glorify pimps, you know, and that the prostitutes better have their money and things like that. Um, so we see these things happening. And another thing that could cause someone to enter into prostitution Drug addiction, they have a habit that they need to support. There are just so many things that can cause a person to enter into prostitution. So as I'm talking today about prostitutes, let us remember that they are still people, that they are still made in the image of God, and that God loves prostitutes. And if God loves prostitutes, God's people should love prostitutes. We don't love what they do, but we love them. Because this is going to be huge here, what we're going to see today. How our Lord had a way of uh, including those who were excluded. Our Lord had a way of hanging in parts of town and with certain people that much to the chagrin of the religious establishment or the syndicate, they put them down. You do know your teacher is eating with sinners, don't you? 
In Luke 7, when this woman who lived a sinful life, we don't know what her sinful life was, but we can assume it may have been prostitution, but she comes up to Jesus and she weeps at his feet and she uses her hair to wipe his feet. And the Pharisee says within himself, does he not know who this woman is and that she's at his feet? And the Lord had to minister to that Pharisee and say, you know, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I believe she even had an alabaster jar of perfume. And so when God reaches a broken person, when God reaches a quote-unquote sinner, when God touches the heart of a prostitute, his grace is truly activated and change happens. And if God can change a prostitute, a tax collector, He can change a Pharisee. But, as we're going to see today, change begins with repentance. For most sinners, you don't have to spend a lot of time convincing them that they need to repent. It's us church folk who have a hard time with repentance. And Jesus is going to show us today that the last down here are going to be first up there. I know the religious folk don't like it, but that is the kingdom of God and it's upside down. Really, it's right side up and the world is upside down concerning how God loves and reaches people. Jesus came for sinners. Prostitutes and tax collectors knew they were sinners. It was the church folk who didn't know they were sinners. And they missed the Lord. You say, okay, pastor, I really don't believe what you're talking about. Uh, Let me go over to Luke chapter 14. Read something to you. Let me go over to Luke 14. Oh, my. There's something about our Savior now. Luke 14, beginning at verse 16. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, and this is a story, a parable. There are meanings here. He says, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. So go to the outskirts. Go to the margins to find marginalized people. Go out into the extreme places where folks don't normally go. Where those people are, go get them. Verse 22, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges, go out to the country and get them poor country folk too, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. 
I invited you. You didn't want to come. Okay, we're not going to let this grace go to waste. Go and get those unworthy people out there. Because the ones I invited, they're really unworthy. They just don't know it. But they chose other things and made excuses and, and passed me over. Those folk were the Pharisees who didn't want to come to the spread that the Lord had prepared of the new covenant. They didn't want him. They didn't want his teaching. But somebody did. John 1.11 says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Those last folks are going to become the first folks. And then in chapter 15, verse 1 of Luke, watch this. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. His church was made up of sinners, tax collectors. Tax collectors were the scum of the Hebrew earth. You know why? Because they were Hebrew people who worked for the man, who worked for Romans. And the Romans taxed the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people were under the legislation and the authority of Rome. And so taxes were extracted from them regularly. So they hired Jews to go and get money from Jews to bring it back to the Romans. But what the tax collectors would do, not only were they working for the man, but they would also take extra from the people and put it in their pockets. So not only would they get paid by Rome for doing a job, but they would also take money from the people to pad their pockets. And so they were considered to be the lowest of the low. And then there were prostitutes right there with them. But those are the people that Jesus sat down with and drank and ate with. Because somehow he could spend time with these kind of people without condoning what they were doing. Neither did he condemn them, for the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He didn't condone, he didn't condemn. Somehow through his love, he compelled. Anybody been compelled by his love? Anybody been drawn close because of his love? Ah! When he just wraps you in his love. He doesn't condemn you. He's not condoning what you're doing. He's just compelling you. And his love changes. You can't meet him and stay the same. So these sinners are sitting and they come near to him to hear him. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes complain saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. I'm like, what's wrong with that? The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And I can't seek and save the lost if I stay up in this synagogue all day. I got to go out into the streets and reach people where they are. So verse three, he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. 
that's saying is the Pharisees didn't feel like they needed to repent for anything. They thought they were already in the sheepfold, if you will. But Jesus is saying that heaven goes bonkers, ballistic, when a sinner repents. Versus 99, quote unquote, just people who don't repent. You see, repentance is the key to having a relationship with God. It takes humility to repent. It takes authenticity and honesty to repent. But when you're self-righteous, you will not repent. You see, to repent means to change your mind. That's what it means. It means to change your mind. So when Jesus would sit with these sinners who were immersed in a life of darkness and depravity and addiction and deviation, they would hear him. And as a result of hearing the word and feeling the love, their minds would begin to change. And they would turn from going this way and turn to going this way and following him. So rather than following their own path, their own desires, their own hedonism, they turned, that is, they repented. And they stopped going this way and they started going this way. But the Pharisees thought they were already going the right way, but in essence, they were going the wrong way, and so they never repented. You ever been driving, and you were going the wrong way? Let me talk to y'all, because some of y'all only know about uh, uh, GPS, global positioning systems. But there was a time where we had to open up, in the back of your Bible, there's maps. We had to read maps back in the day. I know some of y'all don't remember that. But, but, but we would look at maps. We would go in the gas station and get coffee, get sunflower seeds, and a map that shows us where we're going. And we follow the map. Or we would, uh, as things began to progress a little bit, we would get the maps thing. And, and you would print out the direction. They would say, go here, left. Go here, right. Go five miles, here. But now we got folk talking to us and stuff. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to mess with my GPS so they can hit say, rerouting, rerouting. <laughs> but here's the deal though, when you had the maps though, you're going down the street, your wife or your husband, your, your children, your friend, they're assisting you. We, we gotta go a little further. Gotta, and if you go past where you're trying to go, what do you do? Turn around. Turn around. You make a what? You get off, ride around, come back, and go back. That's repentance. I'm going the wrong way. I know I'm going the wrong way. But some of us men used to be so stubborn. Uh, it's going to work out. I, I, know, I know we ain't never been in this part of town before. I, I, you know, I, it, it's going to work out. Man, repent. Turn around, bruh. It's hard. Again, pride will make you not want to turn around because to repent means you got to admit that you're wrong. It's hard for religious people to admit that they, we are wrong. But entrance into the kingdom of heaven requires repentance. No repentance, no entrance. I don't care who you are. No repentance, no entrance. So heaven, a.k.a. paradise, 
is for sinners who repent. For sinners who repent. Whether you are a Pharisee or a prostitute, whether you're a tax collector or a teacher of the law, whether you are a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Republican, Democrat, black, white, rich, poor, in the church, out of the church, progressive, liberal, conservative, whatever, whoever you are, if you don't repent, you're not entering the kingdom of God. Mm -mm. Okay, somebody still doesn't believe me. Go back to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Repentance. Repentance. Matthew chapter 21. When we come to Matthew 21, this is the last week of Jesus' earthly life. He's going to die in a matter of days when we come to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 begins on a mountain of praise. But Matthew ends with Jesus dying on a mountain of despair. Calvary, Golgotha. The triumphal entry is what begins Matthew chapter 21. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Behold, Israel, your king comes humble, lowly, riding on a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem. The people are going crazy. This is the prophet from Galilee. This is Jesus, the Christ. And they're laying down their coats and the palm branches, and they're singing, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, Hosanna, save us. Save us now. We, we believe that you are the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Christ, the Anointed One. Hosanna in the highest. And the Pharisees are sitting around watching all of this. And they're not giving Jesus praise. Matter of fact, the Pharisees want the people to be quiet because they don't like anybody getting glory except for them. And who is this young upstart preacher anyway who didn't come up through our rabbinical schools, who didn't come up under our leadership? Who does he think he is? And here they are screaming out Hosanna, and the Pharisees are like, tell these disciples of yours to be quiet. And Jesus said, uh, if they would get quiet, I'm trying to tell you the rocks would cry out up in here. Be a rock concert for real up in here. And then their children giving him praise. The Pharisees can't stand it. And then Jesus has the audacity to go and cleanse the temple. All the money changers and folks are in there, robbing people, got animals in there, all kind of stuff is going on. And he cleansed the temple for the second time in his ministry. And so we come to verse 23 of chapter 21. Now, when he came into the temple, are you with me? The chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. In other words, they interrupted him. He's in there teaching and they confront him, which they have no respect for him. They have no respect for the word that he's teaching and they have no respect for him. And they confront him and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In other words, who do you think you are? You're coming in town, everybody praising you. Uh, uh, you got the nerve to cleanse the temple. 
Then you're going to sit up in here and heal sick people, according to the scriptures, who are in the temple. And now you're teaching in the temple and you didn't ask us for permission to teach here. Who do you think you are? Who gave you this authority? Verse 24. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. You you see that right there? He's not going to let them take him somewhere he don't want to go. He's still very much in control of the situation, even though they came to wreak confusion in the midst of that moment. He's still very calm, collected, because he's God. And he says, okay, I'll answer your question, but I need you to answer one of mine. Once you answer my question, then I'll answer yours. Verse 25, the baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves. When I read that, I see they they got in a huddle. They they got in a huddle. And this is what they started saying. Now, 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 if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? Because if John's baptism came from heaven, came from God, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, you know we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered and said to Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? No matter how we answer this, it's going to catch us. Because if we say it's from men and the people believe John is a prophet, the Gospels let us know in Luke chapter 20, verse 6, with the same story, that the Pharisees, if they spoke against John, they felt that they would be stoned. Because the people felt John was a prophet. Where do prophets come from? From God. True prophets come from God. So both answers are taking you back to heaven. And they don't want to admit that John was right. Because if John was right, that means Jesus is who he says he is. So they're in a quandary. They're in trouble. So they come back and say, look, man, we don't know the answer. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Oh, you got to love him. He's smooth like that, cool like that. Man, I love him. Y'all not going to manipulate me, make me do what I don't want to do. Uh-uh. Answer the question. Because if you say from heaven or that he was a prophet, You got to reckon with me. But watch what Jesus says, though. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you a story. (laughs) But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Again, these Pharisees, they they know everything, right? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. Paul, let, let me run it in reverse a little bit. The two sons, one represents the sinners. The other son represents the sanctified community that ain't that sanctified. The first son that the master, the father goes to, rather, says, I want you to work today. And the first one says, no. But then 
regrets, saying no, then goes out and works. So when Jesus would come, I'll even back it up, when John the Baptist came, preaching this gospel of repentance, the sinners were like, nah, I ain't trying to give this life up, no. But they kept listening, and it brought regret, or in the Greek, repentance. They repent, and they went out into the vineyard and worked. The second son, Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, church folk, they said, uh, yeah, we, we, we going. In other words, amen. Amen. And didn't do the amen. They stayed where they were. And Jesus said, which one did the will of the Father? And the Pharisees condemned themselves in the answer by saying, the first people. Because we're not trying to do anything this man says. So they stayed, just like in the parable in Luke 15 about the older brother who was upset that the younger brother squandered the inheritance. The older brother, again, is a picture of the Pharisees who were self-righteous, who wouldn't join the party, who says, I'm with you, I always do everything right. No, you don't. But the one who repented got the fatted calf, got the gold ring, got the party. My son who was dead is alive. So Jesus says, put yourself in these stories. Is it the red pill or the blue pill? Are you the first son or the second son? And the Pharisees gave the right answer, but couldn't humble themselves to live like the answer was true because they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't repent. So Jesus says in verse 32, for John came to you because he's got to connect John. Y'all didn't feel John. That's why you're not feeling me. But they heard and felt John. And that's why they're entering the kingdom of God ahead of y'all. And if you look at the other passages, ahead of you almost means without you. Over in Matthew 23, Jesus says that you hypocrites, let me see if I can read this right. Matthew 23, verse 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. They're going to hell. You see, heaven is that place where when you get there, there's going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked over who's there. Not him, not her. Are you serious? Oh, Lord, all these sinners up in here. Heaven ain't got a ghetto, but there's some ghetto folk up in here. You shocked. But then you're going to be shocked over who's not there. Where my pastor at? My pa my, where my Bible teacher at? <laughs> and then the Pharisees and self-righteous are going to be shocked when they open up their eyes in hell. Luke 16, that parable of the rich guy who shunned the poor man Lazarus who had all the sores over his body and who begged every day. Lazarus was experiencing hell on earth, but he got heaven in the afterlife. The rich guy was experiencing heaven on earth, but he got hell in the afterlife because he opened up his eyes in hell. And I just want to ask you, which do you want? I can go through some suffering here. You yeah, know, man, it's hard, but heaven has 
earth knows no sorrow, the heaven can't heal. Uh, the, the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed unto me. Time versus eternity. I struggled here, but in eternity, woo, I'm all right. You got your mansion down here, but I got me one up there that no moth and rust will enter and corrupt it. The kingdom, the kingdom. Jesus is trying to get us to get a kingdom mindset. And then in verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, what this means is when John would go out and preach, people would come to him from all over the place. The Bible says, repenting and confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance to get ready for the Messiah who was to come. And John says, I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance. But the one coming after me, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I know a lot of people say, oh, child, have you been fire baptized? You don't want that. You been fire baptized? No, 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 no. I've been baptized in the spirit. And the spirit is like fire in my bone, but not fire baptism. Because what if you keep reading, what it's saying is that he's going to take the chaff separated from the wheat, put that stuff over here and he's going to burn it. So it's a picture of hell. And the Pharisees watched sinners come, repent, get baptized, confess their sins. They watched. So John one day said to Marah, you brood of what? You brood of what? Those are the preachers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Don't try to claim Abraham as your father. You're not getting in by ethnic identification. You can only get in by repentance. They didn't repent. So what do you do if you're a Pharisee? You got to repent. Even if you got to go have a conversation with Jesus at night when ain't nobody around. I'm talking about Nicodemus. Nicodemus broke away from the clique, from the group, from the pressure. And he went and said, uh, are you really the teacher? I mean... Nobody can do these miracles unless God is with him. And Jesus said, bro, you got to be born again. You can't see nor enter the kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus leaves. And then through the rest of John, you see Nicodemus starting to speak up and then stand out. And then when it's time for Jesus' body to be taken off the cross, who goes to get it? Nicodemus. Because he's growing as a disciple and follower of Jesus. Because watch this, repentance is not just an action, it's a way of life. We repent, we come to Jesus, action, but we live in a state of perpetual repentance because we realize we're not all that even though God loves us and we're born again, we're still made of clay, we mess up, we fall, so we repent. But it's the Christian folk, the religious people, who don't think their stuff stinks, who don't repent. But thank God for the Nicodemuses that do. All right, Pastor, you've been talking about prostitutes. What does a prostitute do? Same thing that a Pharisee does. Repent. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Repent. If the sin is pride or if the sin is prostitution, repent. That's the beginning of a new life. 
So if someone is caught in prostitution or caught in immorality, male prostitutes, female prostitutes, what's the solution? Repent. That's the beginning of living a life of repentance and freedom. All right, Pastor, what about these tax collectors, man? You know, because, because you're talking about Nicodemus. Then there's a prostitute, and if I need to go back, I could talk about Rahab, because she used to be, she used to be, she used to be, but then we see her in the lineage of Jesus Christ, married and moving on, doing productive things, so that thing did not identify her life, knowing the Lord identified her life, but part of her testimony was that she was a prostitute. And if God could touch her, he could touch anybody. Well, what about tax collectors? Oh, man, there's Zacchaeus. There's Matthew and Levi. Man, if you need an example of what repentance looks like in this community, look at Matthew. Look at Zacchaeus. Can anybody look at you? Look at me? To see an example of what repentance looks like? Or are you holier than thou? I'm not afraid to admit that I'm broken. Oh, yeah, I have Jesus. I was Humpty Dumpty. I sat on the wall. I had a great fall. Everybody tried to put me back together again, but Jesus put me back together again, and he's still putting me together. So when I see people who aren't as together as I am, I have mercy and grace and compassion on them because I know who the master is. I know what he's doing in my life, and I know what he is doing for me he can do for them. But it begins with repentance. The reason why church folk have a hard time repenting before each other is because we don't spend time repenting before God. We don't apologize to God, so we ain't going to apologize to other people. But if you're broken before God, I mean, when we walk by Calvary's cross, there should be no big eyes and little use. We, we should all humble ourselves. And if I can humble myself before God, I can truly humble myself before my neighbor. Several years ago, Strong Tower Bible Church had a testimony service. And in this testimony service, I would open it up and I would let people come. And uh, there'd be people coming up to testify that I didn't know. They were guests and visitors. And so they would come up and testify. And nine times out of 10, it worked out okay. But every now and then, you got somebody that got up there and testified and the spirit went right. And as the pastor, I would have to get up and then correct it because they may have said something that was off. And I would have to lovingly watch what was being spoken. But also know, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So come on in, come say so. And I remember one time, y'all, a lady got up I had never seen before. And she said, I was a prostitute. Some of you may have been in that service. I think we were at the factory. And she talked about being a prostitute. Now, when she said that, I got nervous. I said, where this going? Where's this going now? But as she, and again, showing me my religious hypocrisy and being stuffy and self-righteous and no, Jesus came for sinners and she shared her testimony and she talked about Jesus and she gave him the glory. And for a minute as church folk, we didn't really know how to handle it that a prostitute was really up in here who had been changed. I wonder if I open up the mic today because you don't have to be a prostitute to be a prostitute. Somebody might say, I was a drunkard. I was a liar. 
I was a pathological liar. I lied getting up, going to bed. I was a liar, but he touched me. Somebody could say, man, I was always jealous of folk. I coveted what other folks had. Because we always want to talk about the prostitution and the drug addiction. What about the envy? That kind of stuff at all. But one thing's for sure. When we're testifying, we're giving all the glory to Jesus who found us in our sin-sick state and condition, welcomed us in and adopted us as his sons and daughters, put a coat of righteousness on us, put a signet ring of authority on our hand as Donna talked about, put new shoes, the gospel shoes on our feet. Prostitutes in paradise, praise God. Me in paradise, praise God. Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus looked at him and said, today, you'll be with me where? Paradise. He didn't get baptized. He didn't join a church. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't wear certain clothes. He didn't listen to certain music. He repented. And Jesus received him. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet as we close in prayer. Father God, we're standing on our feet, but we're praying in our hearts on our knees. We repent. We turn. Forgive us for judging those people. Because the truth is, we are those people. We just sin differently. We're not better than them. They're not worse than we are. We are all sinners in need of forgiveness, sinners in need of mercy, sinners in need of your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to save sinners. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to seek and to save the lost. And thank you, God, that we are that one sheep that you found. Now, Lord, help us to go out and love on other people well. Let us not look down on people made in your image. Let us not look down on people who are in poor conditions. Because but by the grace of God. Teach us, Jesus, your heart. We want a heart like yours. And you loved everybody, even the Pharisees. And you loved them enough to tell them the truth. Help us to do that with ourselves and with others when we get too high and mighty religiously help us to keep it simple and to remind others and ourselves to repent to repent to repent if there's someone here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus you don't know God you've never been born again Today is the day for you. Today is the day of salvation. Repent. Turn from doing life your way and turn to Jesus, who is the way. Turn to Jesus. 
and say, Jesus, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Jesus, save me. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Jesus, I want you. And before we say amen with everyone praying, if there was one person today who said, Pastor Chris, I repent and I want Jesus as my Savior. I've never asked God to save me. I went to church. I did it all. But man, I'm empty. I need Jesus, Pastor Chris. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand? You want Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus. Is there one? I want Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to extend an invitation to the banquet <laughs> for them to come and eat at your table. We thank you, Lord, that you touched us enough where we have enough sense to say, I'm coming to the banquet. I'm empty, but I'm coming to be fed. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the bread of heaven that fills our soul. You're the water of life that satisfies our thirst and our longing. And even then, we repent of pride, folly, foolishness, sin, all of the stuff that breaks fellowship with you and your people. We turn, we repent. We're not going to act like it doesn't happen in our lives because we'd be no different than a Pharisee. But God, we can admit, I'm not doing as well as I need to be right now. I, I've been self-centered instead of being God-centered. We repent and we thank you. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, but never your presence, we thank you that you are with us. Thank you for communion today that reminded us of your presence, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We walk with you today as we walk into the world. Fill us with joy, fill us with strength, fill us with hope, fill us with wisdom to love those around us. May we not be afraid to go to the highways and the byways to touch people, to learn their names, to look in their eyes to give them the hope of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you use this church. Thank you, Lord, for what we do to feed and clothe and help. Thank you, Lord, for the things we've learned in the past so from my brother Clifton Harris as we prepare banquet tables for folks, Lord. Oh, it's your will, it's your will, it's your will, it's your will. And that's why I believe we don't lack in this church because we're always doing our best to put ourselves in places where Jesus hung out and where Jesus hangs out. Thank you that you're in the prisons, you're in the hospitals, you're naked, you're thirsty, you're poor, you're the prostitute, you're the tax collector, you're out there. And that's where the kingdom is. Keep growing this church to be about the kingdom and not about church entity. Now unto him who was able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And everybody that's going to heaven said, Amen. Oh, that's weak. Everybody that's going to heaven said, Amen. Everybody that's going to paradise said, Amen. Let's most our lives living in the game. You are dismissed. Have a blessed day. If you want to join the church, come see me. I'm up here. Amen. Be blessed.